Welcome to the Edge Talk Radio Network, your weekly source for information, empowerment, and connection. The Edge Magazine and its advertisers bring you inspired interviews and conversation on learning and healing, on our sacred journey, and on topics that expand beyond time and space. Now, welcome today's host. My name is Mary Stoffel. I am a professional animal communicator and shamanic practitioner, and welcome to Edge Animal Talk. This evening, uh, we are going to be talking to Dr. Sue Swanson. She is the owner of the Cat Care Clinic in Monomedi, just a northern suburb of St. Paul, Minnesota. And uh, Dr. Sue has been a guest of mine many times on this show. Uh, She not only has uh, expertise in Western vet medicine, uh, but she also has holistic practices as well. And that's one of the main reasons why I like to have her on the program. Good evening, Dr. Sue. Good evening, Mary. And how are you today? I'm doing well, and you? Oh, I'm doing very good. Thank you so much. We are going to be talking tonight about vaccinations and when and how to give them to your companion animals. And tonight we're going to be focusing primarily on dogs and cats, but I would think that some of these main principles also apply to other animals as well. And for that, um, I'm speaking of horses and, um, I don't know, Dr. Sue, do they vaccinate bunnies? Uh, Not that I know of, no. Okay. No. I know that they do horses, and yeah, and, um, and in that good. regard, you would want to speak to a vet that does uh, horse care. Correct. So yeah, this evening, good. what we are going to be addressing is the whole issue around giving vaccinations to your pets. So I'd like to start out with Dr. Sue about telling us what vaccinations actually are and, and how do they work for an animal. Vaccines are composed of um, different things. There's different types of vaccines. Um, Generally, there's a modified live vaccine, which is probably one of the most common types of vaccines. It's just what it sounds like. It's a modified live virus that is given in a small dose uh, to the animal to stimulate the immune system to respond and form antibodies against that virus. Uh, Another type of vaccine is called a killed vaccine, and the killed vaccine contains a killed virus, which cannot cause infection. Um, Same thing, it stimulates the body's immune system to mount an immune response and form antibodies against the killed virus. There's also newer vaccines that are subunit vaccines and recombinant vaccines, which are slightly different. The subunit has only parts of a virus, so again, it cannot cause infection. Unlike uh, the modified live virus, I do see some problems in, in certain individuals where that modified live virus can cause the disease in the animal, then they have a hard time getting rid of the uh, infection, and a lot of those animals can become carriers of that virus for life. So I'm not a big proponent of the modified live vaccines, although. A lot of vets like them because they say they give a better, longer-term immunity, um, which you know has been shown to be true in many cases. But I think the risk 
of causing an, a long-term carrier um, due to, you know, giving them a virus they can't um, can't defend themselves from. Uh, kind of outweighs, at least in my book, outweighs the possibility of using something like a killed vaccine where there's mm. no chance of that happening. Does that mean that they could actually spread it to another animal too? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I see a lot of the cats that, uh, cats in particular, that get the upper respiratory vaccines that are included with the distemper vaccination. Um, a significant number of those individuals will become infected with those upper respiratory viruses, and most of them will fight it off and not have problems. But I do see a significant percentage that become carriers, and many of them remain carriers for life. They may have persistent problems with uh, runny nose, uh, sneezing, runny eyes, that type of thing, or they may have just intermittent problems when they get stressed and their immune system goes down, the virus will cause problems. So I, I generally try to uh, use just the killed vaccines in my practice, and that's more of a personal preference, but it's in part to just because I've seen major problems with the modified live, especially in situations where you've got like a multi-cat household or multi-animal right. household or like shelters. Mm -hmm. I've worked with several shelters that when they stopped using the modified live virus vaccines, a lot of their upper respiratory issues um, that they were having stopped. They went away. So once they were using the killed virus, the cats were fine and didn't continue having problems. So, and how would you know that unless you asked? You would have to ask ask the vet, and in particular in, in individuals that are either immune-suppressed or like purebreds especially. Purebreds I definitely do not recommend uh, modified live vaccine because their immune systems are inherently weaker and they're more likely to have problems with them. So, so if yeah. you don't know what your vet is using, you you could be giving that to your animal and not even know it. Correct, correct. That's why I stopped using modified live vaccines years ago, just because I unfortunately, through my own ignorance, created some chronic carriers of cats. And once I figured out that, hey, it's the vaccine, they just can't get over it, their immune systems are too weak, then um, that stopped happening. So Wow. Yeah. So that well, definitely something to be aware of. Thank you for that wake-up call. Yeah, that, so that's how do the vaccinations work? I mean, how, do, how are they supposed to protect an animal? They will stimulate the animal's immune system. There's something in the vaccine called an adjuvant, which is um, something that a compound that will stimulate the animal's immune system to form antibodies against that particular virus or particular bacteria or organism that the vaccine is meant to protect the animal from. And they mount that immune response in two ways. They form antibodies, which can inactivate the virus or the, the uh, infectious agent, and they also will form a, what we call a cell-mediated immunity or long-term immunity that's kind of the, the body's immune memory. It's what helps that animal to remember years later when they're exposed to that virus again or that, that disease agent again. It helps them remember that, hey, we've got antibodies that can, can take care of this bug. So they also will mount an, a long-term immune response. Okay. Okay. So, so that's the reason why you would want to vaccinate your animal is to protect Correct. them from... Correct. So that they develop an immunity to the disease safely, but they don't get the disease and they don't have to suffer from the ravages of the disease, many of which, you know, the diseases that we vaccinate for are deadly and, and, you know, have the potential to kill. 
uh, for example, feline leukemia is very deadly in many individuals. And that vaccine is like 99% protective if it's given ahead of time. So, uh, you know, that, that, in, that one in particular um, is good just because that virus, the feline leukemia virus, is very easily transmitted through the urine, the stool, the saliva. Um, so it's, it's highly infectious. So it can be easily transmitted from one cat to another, even without direct contact to a, an infected cat. Oh, interesting. But that brings up an interesting question, and that is, I know that there are many different vaccines, and how does a person know what to give and and how often to give it? Okay. The uh, The American Veterinary Medical Association is responsible for setting our standards of care that we, that all veterinarians are to follow in and their view on vaccines is that there's, there's core vaccines that they recommend for all individuals, and then there's some non-core vaccines that are, are recognized as necessary only in certain situations. And, uh, for example, for cats, the core vaccines are distemper and rabies. And the distemper is also going to include two or three different upper respiratory infections. Um, that's just how the distemper comes, those are considered the core vaccines. And then they have specific recommendations for each of those types of vaccines as to how often they should be given um, for each individual. And some states, actually, as well as some towns or cities, have uh, requirements for uh, vaccines and how often. For example, the rabies vaccine. The state of Minnesota requires that every three years for cats and dogs. The, there was city requirements. Um, each city was different. Some cities required every year. Some cities required every two years. Some were every three years. Some cities don't have any requirements. So they just uh, last year, I believe it was, changed that to make all the requirements uh, match so that they all match the recommendation of the state. So rabies vaccines for cats and dogs generally should be <coughs> excuse me, given every three years. So the recommendations do vary, but the American Veterinary Medical Association says every three, the the cats, what is recommended for, say, kittens and puppies, is a series of two two or three distemper vaccines given generally a month apart. The number depends on when you start the vaccine. The number of vaccines they get depends on what age you start the vaccines at, and then they're continued you know, until the animal is at least a certain age, usually 12 weeks of age or 16 we- for cats or 16 weeks of age for puppies. And then um, the rabies, the first time they get that, it's good for a year. Um, after that, they can go every three years. The distemper series, once they get that completed, it's good for a year, and again, every three years after that. Mm-hmm. So that's the general recommendation. There are still some veterinarians that push the rabies and distemper every year. And there are also some differences in vaccines. For example, the rabies, there's two different types of rabies vaccines, one of which is good for three years, the other is only good for a year. And the one that is uh, only good for a year is what they call a non-adjuvanted vaccine. The adjuvant, in some cases, can overstimulate that immune system and cause problems. 
that's why they believe that particular vaccine is safe, but that one is required to be given every year. So I don't recommend that particular type of vaccine because of that requirement. Mm -hmm. You can see there's been studies that show the immunity from these vaccines lasts at least five to seven years, in many cases much longer than that. Okay? Wow. So even from the kitten and puppy series, just those vaccines, that immunity will last them at least five to seven years, in most cases longer. And there was an actually, there was a study that came out, I believe it was the end of last year or the first part of this year, called the Rabies Challenge. Um, mm -hmm. Dr. Gene Dodds from California took, oh gosh, I think it was like 150 or 200 dogs, gave them one single rabies vaccination. Then after five years, those dogs were challenged with rabies, with the rabies virus. Every dog survived that uh, challenge. No dogs died. So that means they can go at least five years with immunity from just one rabies vaccine. She followed wow. that up, I believe it was last year or the year before, with a second challenge at seven years, and those results were to be published, like I said, either late last year or the first part of this year. And at the time I saw her last, which was about this time last year, she said all the dogs had survived the seven-year challenge as well. And they were following that up with some pathology check to check for virus in the dog system, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So really she's got a really good, solid study um, that's a placebo-controlled study, which is what, you know, the medical profession looks for, um, that is, you know, sh <clears throat> excuse me, showing that immunity lasts at least five to seven years for the rabies, in many cases longer. Mm -hmm. so, so wow, oh, that's amazing. Even every three years, I, I would question that, because a lot of these immunities last much longer, and the vaccines do have, um, toxic materials in them. Most of the vaccines, not all, contain aluminum and or mercury, both of which can be potent toxins to the central nervous system, the gut, the kidneys, um, both of which can cause a lot of uh, health issues. And I do see a lot of individuals that I, I feel are having problems due to aluminum and or mercury toxicity from vaccines. So, the, you know, the, the downside of vaccinating annually um, or even every three years is you have, over time, an accumulation of toxins in the animal system. And just like people, some individuals, some cats and dogs can detoxify and never have problems with that. Other individuals aren't as good as detoxifying, and they are the ones that will have problems. So right. What I, what well, remember my dog, uh, Kimmy. Um, she is a Rottweiler. She is probably about 9 or 10 now, um, and she's a Katrina survivor. So she made it through the hurricane, but she was found down in the Ninth Ward in New Orleans where all of the floodwaters were and the toxic waste. And um, uh, several years ago now, I think it was probably about four or five years ago, was when she started having seizures, just all of a sudden, out of the blue. And um, I remember nobody could figure it out, uh, what was causing these mini seizures. And we tried acupuncture and chiropractic, and I brought her to you, and we tried diet, and all of those things helped, but they didn't really pinpoint what the problem was until we sent out a hair sample and it came back off the charts with mercury and aluminum poisoning 
in her brain, and we put her on a heavy metal detox. And since that time, the seizures have stopped completely. Yeah, she's a classic case of, you know, and some of that may have been from vaccines. Some of that may have been from food, especially aluminum, unfortunately, is in our food chain. And some of it may have been from the toxins she was exposed to during the hurricane and afterwards. Right, so it was kind of the perfect storm. She just got everything. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, she was a good case to show that, yes, um, the vaccines, I think, in her case were kind of the straw that broke the camel's back and just sent her over into toxic overload. Right, because, you know, because she was a stray when they picked her up, they didn't know whether or not she'd been vaccinated before. So, of course, they vaccinated her. And then I think she was vaccinated again before we got her. Right, right. So who knows how many rounds she'd had in between all of that. Correct. And one of Mm -hmm. the problems with vaccine reactions is that most veterinarians only recognize vaccine reactions is happening within 24 to 48 hours of when they get the shots. That's an immediate hypersensitivity or immediate reaction. Um, What I see is a lot of chronic uh, delayed hypersensitivity reaction. In other words, it may take a few weeks to even up to six months. Cats are so good at hiding symptoms that a lot of times it can take six months for the inflammation to make symptoms significant enough that the owner notices there's a problem and not only that but acts on it and brings it in for someone to check it out so it right can and then there's also time. a problem with how many vaccinations you give within a certain period of time because mm-hmm. i had a cat that was very sensitive and we didn't know that and they gave her it was either two or three all at the same time and it was just too much for her system And we ended up taking her back in on an emergency basis and giving her fluids, and uh, we almost lost her. Yeah, and that's not an uncommon happening, unfortunately. I try not to give more than two vaccines at a time. If I can, even one at a time is better. And also, I never give vaccines at the time of surgery unless there's extenuating circumstances, like it's a feral cat that's going to be (laughs) re-released, and that's the only chance we have to get our hands on the animal. So generally it's better not to give the vaccines when they have stress such as surgery, that type of thing, Mm -hmm. uh, and or minimize the number of vaccines you're giving at once. Because especially Mm -hmm. for dogs, they will give um, a distemper which has like five to seven different organisms in it. They'll give it a rabies. They'll probably give it a bordetella. Um, You know, there's a whole host of other vaccines that they can give in addition to that. And they're getting you know, anywhere from uh, five to ten organisms all at once. That's a lot for their immune system to handle. And yeah, definitely. So so instead of getting those complex ones, uh, you can request that they be split up? You can to some degree. The vaccine manufacturers, uh, for cats, the minimum you can get with the distemper is distemper and two upper respiratory infections. That's the bare minimum. Rabies is always a vaccine by itself. Okay, for mm-hmm. for dogs, the minimum is generally a four-way distemper: distemper, hepatitis, and then two upper respiratory infections. That's generally the minimum that you can get um, easily. Um, most vaccines have more than that. 
And that's where going back to the American Veterinary Medical Association's non-core vaccines, the non-core vaccines for cats would be feline leukemia, although they're changing that recommendation some, uh, starting to recommend it for more cats because they're trying to reduce the incidence of feline leukemia in the cat population, so they're starting uh -huh. to recommend it more. There's also a Bordetella for cats, which I don't recommend. There's a feline uh, FIV vaccine, feline immunodeficiency virus. There's a vaccine for that. There's also a vaccine for feline infectious peritonitis, the coronavirus. Um, all of those are non-core vaccines, and I don't recommend for cats for various reasons. For dogs, uh, the core vaccines are your distemper combination with hepatitis, parinfluenza, parvovirus. Parvo is an important one. And then rabies, the other vaccine for dogs like Lyme's vaccine, Corona vaccine, uh, Bordetella, um, those I think are the primary ones. Leptospirosis, you know, those may be recommended in certain areas, but not all dogs need them. And things well, like does the Lyme's vaccine actually work? Because I've heard of people who have had their dogs vaccinated and they still got Lyme's disease. Yeah, the, the Lyme's vaccine I don't recommend because for two reasons. It's only about 80% protective, which for, for a vaccine is not very good protection because there's still a pretty significant chance that the animal can get Lyme's. But the other reason I don't recommend the Lyme's vaccine is that an, a significant number of dogs have a Lyme's-like reaction to the vaccine. So the, there the vaccine is actually causing disease symptoms. So I don't recommend the Lyme's vaccine, even for people in high-tick areas. You're much better using tick repellents, whether they be chemical or things like essential oils, to mm -hmm. repel ticks and just being very vigilant. Ticks are generally, in most cases, the worst in the spring here in Minnesota in April, May, June. Um, once it gets warmer, uh, they're not as much of a problem until fall. Now they'll come mm -hmm. back out in the fall September and sometimes a little bit into October um, as they're trying to get, you know, in out of the cold. They try to get on warm bodies. So um, tick uh, coverage or, or tick prevention is really only nece necessary for a few months out of the year. Mm -hmm. So you, you said that um, some of the reactions to the vaccinations can vary from immediate reactions to um, something that is much more long-term. Can you be more specific about what people should look for? Yeah, the immediate, or, uh, immediate hypersensitivity, there's, there's an anaphylactic reaction. That happens almost immediately after the vaccine is given, and that tends to be very severe. The animal will develop respiratory problems, labored breathing, um, can, can develop collapse. It, it can sometimes have vomiting and or diarrhea, and that's pretty much immediate. That usually happens within a few minutes of the vaccine. That's the most severe reaction. Next comes, you know, the reaction that happens when you get the cat home. The next 24 to 48 hours, it's not uncommon for them to be a little lethargic, a little, um, you know, more sleepy. But if they're not eating, if there's any vomiting, diarrhea, if they're lethargic, not moving, um, they're having any respiratory difficulties, whether it's wheezing, coughing, labored breathing, any of those types of things within 24 to 48 hours of a vaccine are definitely signs of a reaction. 
the types of reaction I tend to see, um, because I, I tend to see things that are, are more chronic in nature, um, because most people have tried you know, the regular Western medicine before they get to me, what I tend to see is the reactions happening months, weeks to months later. And a lot of times you can actually look at the animal's history and see when the first complaints started for the particular symptoms. What I think is happening is that uh, the adjuvant and or the heavy metals are setting up a chronic inflammatory response in the animal. Now, how that surfaces depends on the individual and where their Achilles heel is, if you will, where their weak point is. If their weak point is in their bladder, you'll see chronic bladder infections or you'll see what we call a, a chronic hemorrhagic cystitis, basically blood in the urine with a lot of pain and discomfort associated with it. And um, that I see very frequently associated with vaccine reactions. Um, the, uh, the other thing can be things like asthma. Um, if the lungs are the animal's weak point, you may see a reaction like asthma. If the gut is the weak point, you'll see like an inflammatory bowel um, because a lot of these uh, aluminum and mercury can hit all of these symptoms. Occasionally I'll see a reaction that's neurological. Um, and we might see anything from anisocoria, which is the pupils being different sizes, to a head tilt. The animal might get weak or wobbly um, and have trouble getting around. Uh, again, the, the symptoms are going to vary depending on where in the individual the inflammation settles in. And typically once we stop vaccines and detox them from that reaction, they tend to do... Uh, much better, they, like like your Kimmy. They tend to do the same So there is too. hope if they yeah. are having a reaction like that. Yeah. If you do a detox, that will help? Yes. Yeah. In most cases, it does. In some cases, the detox can be very simple. In other cases, it's a little bit more extensive, um, and I'll detox them for all vaccines. some cases, it's more simple, and just a simple homeopathic will take care of that. So it really depends on the individual as to, you know, what they need for a vaccine, vaccinosis detox is what I call it. So, it so is it a good idea to automatically detox your animal after you've given them a vaccination? For individuals that are sensitive um, chemically or have a history of chronic inflammatory processes, yeah, I would say that's a good idea. Um, I generally just recommend as a very safe uh, detox after vaccine is the homeopathic called Thuya. Um, that's homeopathic white cedar, and I give it in like a 30C potency, um, and I just give it twice a day for three to five days depending on the severity of the possible reaction. Um, and it's a just a kind of a good preventative. It just keeps the reaction from moving deeper into the system. So those are some of the issues about using vaccinations. Um, what are some of the, well, the downside, of course, is some of these are required, uh, and, and some of them um, your animal may get sick. And you mentioned that the diseases that the vaccinations protect your animal against are, are lethal in many areas. Some, some diseases, yes, some are not. For example, the coronavirus in dogs can be lethal in very young puppies. 
But in adults, it's generally not a problem. It's very seldom lethal in an adult dog. So coronavirus in canines, I don't recommend just because it very seldom, you know, unless they're very young puppies, very seldom do they die from it. In most cases, they fight it off on their own. And if they get natural immunity from exposure to coronavirus, it's a lifelong immunity. Whereas mm-hmm. if you get the vaccine immunity, it's recommended again every three years. I see. So there are some some common sense guidelines that people should be paying attention to. Yeah, there's uh, for for cats. If the cat is strictly indoors, doesn't really go outside other than maybe on a deck or on a leash, then really the only vaccines I recommend are distemper and rabies. Um, every three years, at the absolute most, after the initial kitten series, every three years, and for a lot of individuals. Um, you know, the vaccines, especially if they have health issues, if they've got chronic health issues, by that I mean any inflammatory disease. It might be inflammatory bowel, so you've got chronic vomiting or diarrhea. It might be asthma. I recommend vaccines only as needed. Uh, Like I said, the immunity lasts five to seven years, so sometimes we will wait that five to seven years. Sometimes if their health issues are severe enough, I don't even recommend any more vaccines. Vaccine manufacturers recommend vaccines only for healthy individuals. And if an animal's got chronic health issues, whether it's vomiting or diarrhea or coughing like asthma, that to me is not a healthy enough individual to continue vaccinating. And it's my feeling, um, my, my individual opinion, that vaccines can actually cause more harm in that individual by perpetuating the inflammatory process. Hmm. Interesting. But if you have an animal that, like a a cat that is an indoor-outdoor cat, they could be picking up all kinds of things outside. Correct. If the cat goes outside, even if it's just part-time or if it does live outside, then you want at least a distemper and rabies every three years. And then I also, for the outdoor cats, recommend the feline leukemia vaccine, just because it is quite common in this area. And um, it's it's deadly in a lot of cats that get it. Some cats fight it off and never have problems. Other cats will die from it eventually, whether it be weeks or, or months or years. So feline leukemia, I do recommend for those cats that are going to be outside a significant amount of time, especially if they're going to be allowed to wander on their own, mm-hmm. you know, where there's potential for exposure to other cats. And then, too, if you have some that are indoors only and some that go in and out like I do, I have two that are indoor-outdoor and one that is strictly indoor, in effect, she is um, exposed to whatever they're exposed to anyway. Right, but remember that immunity lasts at least five to seven years. So in that case, what I would recommend is just keeping up with the rabies every Mm -hmm. three years, which is really almost more for human protection than it is for the animal's protection. Although mm-hmm. you can get exposure to rabies uh, from getting a bat in the house, you know, or if they happen to run out of the house and get into a fight before you can get them back in the house, then they've, you know, potentially been exposed to, you know, rabies. So um, for a situation like that, your indoor-only cat, I would keep up with rabies every three years and maybe consider revaccinating her for distemper midlife sometime just to kind of boost her immunity, um, but really minimizing shots in my opinion, keeps the animals healthier over the long term. 
And for dogs, I know if you are going to board your dog or mm-hmm. if you are going to take your dog to any kind of training or a seminar or anything like that, many times they require vaccinations. And right. what is it that they usually require? You know, I, I don't know specifically for a lot of different organizations. I think it can vary. For a lot of kennels, now, the, the core vaccines for dogs are the distemper, which includes parvo, hepatitis, and parainfluenza, which is an upper respiratory, and rabies. Those are the core vaccines. So things like Bordetella are generally only required if you board the dogs. Now, Bordetella is a, is a bacterial infection that causes a cough. It causes an upper respiratory infection. It's very easily treated with an antibiotic, and it very seldom is fatal. So that's why I did. Is that the kennel cough that everybody talks about? Yeah. Okay. It's one of the kennel cough is kind of a catch-all term for upper respiratory infections in dogs. Okay. Okay. Bordetella is one. Parainfluenza, which is included with the distemper virus, is is another one. So you know the 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 um, Bordetella, like I said, is a bacterial infection. It's very easily treated if the dog does come down with it. And if the dog actually comes down with a natural infection, again, they have almost a lifelong immunity. It's a much um, much better immunity. So with the Bordetella vaccine, that's required every six months to a year for some oh reason. My. It depends okay. on the organization. So, But okay. I'm not as familiar with those requirements for, like, for training, that type of thing. I'm not sure what they will require beyond the core vaccines. Yeah, or for showing, too. And, Correct. you know, there's different types of shows. There's, you know, agility, hunting trials, you Correct. know, um, all breed shows, and those confirmation shows. There's yeah. there's all kinds of stuff going on out there. Right, right. And those, because they've got much more potential for exposure, it's probably going to be more important to vaccinate on a re- more regular basis. But there is an alternative to vaccines. One of the things that can be done is you can do a blood test called a titer. The titer measures the dog's antibody response to the vaccine. For example, you can do a a distemper titer, or you can do a parvo titer, or you can do a rabies titer. And what what they're measuring is the dog's immune response to that particular vaccine. If the titer is over a certain number, they say the dog has adequate immunity and adequate protection so it does not need the vaccine. And some places now are actually starting to accept titers as an alternative to uh, having the dog vaccinated. So, and I think that... I know when I inquired at um, our local vet here uh, about doing titers, I was astonished at how expensive it was to do a titer as opposed to just getting the shot. Right, and I think that's unfortunately done on purpose in a lot of cases because there is now, as of I believe last year, there was a canine titer that you can run, I believe it was for distemper and parvo, that you can run in-house that is quite inexpensive. And um, they were in the process of creating a, a feline distemper titer, and I don't know, I'll find out this year at the uh, Holistic Conference next week, I'll find out whether or not that product is available um, because it was relatively inexpensive and it only took like 10 minutes to run the test. And, you you know, you could check a cat, say a stray cat that comes in off the street. 
you can run a quick distemper titer and see do they even need distemper or have they had the vaccine before. Wow. So you know, a very simple. And it, so I think with time and demand, as those titers become uh, more in demand and more people are educated to ask for them, I think they will become cheaper and easier to run. And, mm-hmm. you know, you get mm-hmm. the results more quickly. Well, I know it kind of drove me away from the local vet because I didn't want to do the the shots. Right. But it was way too expensive to do the tighter. Tighter. So and unfortunately, a lot of vet clinics are now requiring vaccines before they will even handle the animal sometimes, which is unfortunate because then they end up vaccinating the animals when they're sick. And that's the the worst absolute time to vaccinate an individual. Wow. So they could be adding to all of the problems that exactly. they're they're seeing. They're at least exacerbating the problem, yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's the same old thing if you take them in when they're healthy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you yeah. don't want them coming back out sick. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And if they're already sick, you don't you don't want to add to their problems. Mm-hmm. Because then it's even mm-hmm. harder to sort out what what is making them sick and what is vaccine reaction. So uh, what are some of the other alternatives that people can do uh, instead of, of doing so much vaccination? Um, I know you mentioned homeopathic remedies and possibly essential oils. Do you have any recommendations for people in that well, area? There are homeopathics for vaccines called nosodes. I'm not real familiar with them, but I know they are available. Um, best thing to do for that would be to contact a veterinarian that specializes in homeopathy. They would have more experience in working with nosodes um, because from what I've heard, the research I've seen says they are you know, just about as effective, if not more effective, without the side effects. And they're, they're very protective as well. So nosodes would be another alternative. Um, how do you spell that? Nosode, N-O-S-O-D-E. Okay, thank you. Okay. Um, you know, certainly there's homeopathics you can give after the vaccines to help undo any bad effects. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the titer testing, um, and there's, you know, just common sense, basically. You know, if an individual is has chronic health issues, especially things like asthma, inflammatory bowel, allergies, uh, you know, skin conditions, that kind of thing that are chronic, Vaccines are meant for healthy individuals. If they've got chronic health issues, don't vaccinate them. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it just has the potential to make things worse. I know that we had talked about Lyme's disease earlier for dogs, and I do have a recommendation um, for using essential oils. If you know that your dog has been bitten by a tick, in other words, you've actually mm-hmm. found the tick on them, and removed the tick, um, if you put, you use three different oils, basil, oregano, and thyme, Mm -hmm. and uh, you alternate them and use just one drop of each or even the end of a Mm -hmm. Q-tip and and apply it directly to the place where the bite is, um, there is a very good chance that it will kill whatever is there at that spot before it gets into the bloodstream. The other one I've heard um, being used is purification, young living purification. Purification is also very good, yes. I've used that on my own self <laughs> for tick bites. 
because mm-hmm. I've had Lyme four times, and, and yeah, uh, since I started using that, I've not had it. Mm-hmm. Right. I actually had a tick bite, um, believe it or not, in the in the fold of my ear. I mm-hmm. have no idea how that tick got in there, yeah. but it it had actually bitten quite severely. Uh, my ear was completely inflamed. It really hurt. And I couldn't figure out what was going on until somebody looked in there and went, oh, my God, you've got a tick in there. And, and it took us, uh, we had to take a pliers and actually get the tick out first. Yeah. And then I started applying the oregano thyme and mm-hmm. um, uh, basil to it. Uh, alternately, and I did not get Lyme's disease at all. That's good. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's excellent. So I know it works from my own personal experience. <laughs> that's very good, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I do that... also know that you can use um, purification. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can mix it with water and spray it on your dog before you let them go out, you know, in a grassy area. Um, or you, as soon as they come back in, spray them down with the purification, and and that will help uh, get any ticks off that it, that they've collected. Right. I have found that essential oils are very effective repellents, not only for ticks but for fleas, mosquitoes. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I have um, an essential oil blend in a wipe form, like a little towelette wipe form, and also mm-hmm. in a spray. Um, either of which are equally effective that you can put on. They need to be applied a little bit more frequently, but they're very effective without a lot of the toxic side effects that the chemical medications have. Right, right. So what are any of the other issues about vaccines? Uh, what about the how much these things cost? You know, um, if, if you are really short on funds, and um, what what are the common sense things? You know, we've talked a little bit about whether or not your animal goes outside or not or whether they're being boarded. What in your experience would be the absolute minimum that that someone could do? The absolute minimum that I recommend is the puppy or kitten series, whether it's given as a puppy or kitten or whether it's given as an adult, which would be, two distempers, a month apart, and a rabies. And actually there's a veterinary immunologist, Dr. Ron Schultz from Madison. He has uh, given given us just verbally at at one of our holistic conferences, we pushed him, what do you do for your own animals? And he said, I vaccinate them with the puppy and kitten series, and that's it. And I followed my animals, my family animals, my friends' animals, to the end of their life doing titers every year to see where their immunity was. And he said, I have yet to lose any of those animals from a preventable vaccinated disease. He said, you know, really that immunity, that initial immunity from those vaccines in most cases can last almost a lifetime. Wow, that's amazing. Five to seven years is how far they've studied it. But he said from his own personal experience, that these animals had a lifetime of protection were healthy. Now, I don't know specifically how much, you know, the dogs were exposed to other dogs or the cats were outdoors, but he said he never lost any of those animals from a disease he had vaccinated them for. Wow, that is, that's amazing. So that, for me, would be the absolute minimum that mm-hmm. I recommend. 
And for especially for, say, a cat that's just an indoor animal, I think they would probably live a very long, healthy life um, without further vaccine. Yes, there is a slight risk, um, but it really is going to be pretty minimal for most mm-hmm. cats. So mm-hmm. that would be the absolute minimum. The common sense, I think, comes in from how much exposure does the individual have? What is the risk of that individual of encountering an animal that may be sick? You know, if if it's a dog, they go on walks with their owner. They very rarely come face-to-face with another dog. They don't go outside a whole lot on their own. Then I would say their exposure is minimal. Again, minimize vaccines, you know, every three years or less. Mm-hmm. You know, if the dog is in training, or in something like agility where it's coming in contact, or even the dog goes to a dog park on a fairly regular basis, then I think keeping up with the vaccines more frequently, again, not more than every three years, would be adequate. And just keeping really good records of Of when when your animals have been vaccinated. Correct. Because if anything does happen, Mm -hmm. you know, and something happens at a dog park and, you know, either your dog gets bitten or whatever, um, it's really nice to know when was the last time they had a vaccination. And you can give that information to someone else, too, that your animal is protected. Right, right, especially for rabies. That's the Uh biggest one because it has a human, you know, health concern. Right. Right. So have you found that the prices of the vaccinations are coming down, or have they stayed pretty steady? As far as I know, I, I haven't, you know, done a lot of research in that area. Um, I know that prices can vary considerably um, depending on what is included with the vaccine, what type of vaccine. Um, most clinics will require an examination with the vaccines at least once a year, um, you know, and at least once with puppy or kitten shots, they'll require at least one examination, which is an extra fee. Um, I guess I can only speak to what we charge, um, but I think uh, the, the prices I know do vary depending on what is included with the vaccine and what's not. Mm-hmm. And that's where you just have to ask questions. Mm-hmm. You know, does and it, then, of course, if you choose to get the detoxifying homeopathic or mm-hmm. or remedy to give afterwards, then that would also have to be included in that too. Yeah, that's usually an additional fee, and that mm-hmm. is something that is available over the counter. Most oh, veterinarians okay. are not going to carry that. Um, I happen to carry it because I do some homeopathy, but most veterinarians are not going to carry it. But you can get it over the counter. Any co-op or natural food store would have that or places, um, you know, in the cities here, places like Mostel's or Sassafras, um, little natural food stores would have those types of remedies. Mm-hmm. So is there a lot of information on this? Say somebody is going to research this on the web. Is is there a lot of good information there, or do you really have to sift through everything that's there to make sure you're getting good information? Yeah, you really have to sift through a lot of what is there. Um, I think two of the best sources, in my opinion, are Dr. Ron Schultz, associated with the veterinary school. He's a veterinary immunologist from um, the veterinary school in Madison, Wisconsin. 
he is one of the foremost experts. He's been he actually developed a lot of the vaccine and the vaccine technology that we use nowadays. And he is mm-hmm. considered one of the foremost in the United States and nationally or um, internationally as far as uh, virology and vaccine. Uh, and that was Dr. Ron Schultz. Schultz, yeah. Okay. The other one is Dr. Jean Dodds. She's the one that did the rabies challenge and is publishing the data on that. She is also one of the foremost experts in the United States on vaccines and vaccinosis. She and Ron developed a lot of the vaccines that we use currently. So I think those two um, individuals are probably the most have the most comprehensive knowledge as far as how the vaccines work, what is actually required, what is, uh, you know, what is, how often should they be given, under what circumstances, that kind of thing. They have the most complete information. Mm-hmm. So it, what I'm hearing in all of this, then, if if all of a sudden, and well, or not even all of a sudden, if something looks like it's kind of creeping up on your animal, um, like uh, lethargy, a fatigue, it feels like they're achy, um, that they they may have have developed a chronic condition, mm-hmm. and there's nothing really that you can point to. One of the things that you might want to consider is whether or not this is a result of being vaccinated. Correct. Now, if you take them to a regular vet, a, a Western vet, are they going to look at you like you're crazy if you walk in there and say that this that you think this is a vaccination reaction? Yeah, generally, because most vets, most Western medical vets, only recognize that immediate hypersensitivity that happens, the reactions that happen within 24 to 48 hours of giving the vaccine. So they don't tend to look at the delayed hypersensitivity, which might happen weeks to months later. And most, I would venture to say most vets, regular vets, do not take the time to go back in the record and look and see, oh, this complaint started two weeks after the shots. You know, here we go. Mm-hmm. So, And the animals had chronic vomiting, chronic diarrhea, chronic allergies, whatever the problem. Or the other one you mentioned was chronic urinary tract infections. Correct, correct. I do see a lot of cats with the uh, blood in the urine, pain on urination, frequent urination, and antibiotics don't help. Steroids, if they do, if antibiotics help, it's temporary. Steroids don't help. Western medicine just does not treat it well, um, does not help with the symptoms. Sometimes the uh, pain medications help temporarily, um, but the cat will continue having chronic blood in the urine, painful urination, and I have found a lot of those are vaccinosis, and once I detox them from vaccinosis, most of it, I would say probably 80 to 90% of it, um, goes away. Um, and the few that continue having problems, those cats most of the time will clear up if I do a heavy metal detox specifically for the mercury and or aluminum. In those cases, in my opinion, I believe it's the aluminum that's causing the problems. It will inflame wow. the kidney. That is amazing because, you know, in my job when I'm doing animal communication consultations, mm-hmm. people call me when there are issues, and cats and urinary tract issues are Common. a good portion of some of the things that I deal with. In fact, I just did a consultation today on, on that kind of issue. Um 
and and I just find that that is amazing. So when I when I tune into the animal and I'm getting this feeling that there is something physical going on that the animal isn't just acting out out of right. you know Spice. being perverse or something. Yeah. Um, whenever I get that feeling that there's something physical going on and they say, well, we've had her checked and she's fine, that may not be the case, that they may not be fine. Right, and that's where those individuals, you always need to check a urine specimen. Most of the times on physical examination, you won't find a whole lot significant. But if you look at a urinalysis, you'll see blood in the urine. Um, not necessarily bacteria, and if you do a culture, there's usually no growth, and you won't necessarily see uh, an unusual number of white cells. You'll see what you would expect to see with whole blood in there, but you won't see like a bladder infection. You won't see a majority of white cells. You'll see blood, basically, Um, and most of these cats also do not have crystals. Some of that certainly can be caused by crystals, which is a dietary problem, but I find a significant number of them, they've been through the testing for crystals, they've been through urine cultures, they've been through um, antibiotics. Many of them have been on steroids, and nothing seems to help uh, more wow. than temporarily. Wow. So that is, I am so glad that we're talking about this because in a lot of the questions that I get pertain to that. Yeah, and that, that I, I see very commonly. And it is it is quite treatable with um, nutraceuticals, which are, are things like glucosamine helps that, homeopathics help that. But the biggest thing I do is detoxify them, and most of those cats turn around. Wow. I'm definitely going to keep that in mind. Yeah. 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 So we are actually uh, coming to the end of our time. I can't believe how fast this has gone. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dr. Sue, is there anything coming up at your clinic or anything coming up with you personally that you would like to um, tell people about? And um, be sure and let us know what your contact information is. Yeah, no special events coming up um, other than I will be gone uh, to the Holistic Conference next week, uh, which is great. It gives me a lot of new ideas. It's it's refreshing to be amongst veterinarians of like thought. Um, but, no, our contact information uh, is Cat Care Clinic. Our website is holisticcatclinic.com, and our phone number is 651-429-4153. Again, that's 651-429-4153. And it's been a pleasure, Mary. It's, it's always fun talking with you. Well, I am so glad to have you as my guest uh, whenever I can get you. <laughs> and uh, and I just can't tell people enough about how you helped zero in on what was causing Kimmy's seizures and, uh, and how much you've helped me with my animals um, over the years. So I just want to say how very grateful I am that you do the work that you do. Um, For myself, my name is Mary Stoppel, and uh, my number is 763-444-8146. That's 763-444-8146. My website is www.humanimal.com. That's H-U-M-A-N-I-M-A-L, humanimal.com. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Sue, and I look forward to talking to you again and bringing my critters in to see you. Thank you, Mary. It's been a pleasure. You have a All good right. Evening. You take care and have a great evening. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye now. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.